The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews is brought to you by Spirituality and Health Magazine, the Soul Body Connection. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com today. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. You know, we don't usually recognize our own mythology until either life or someone significant to us points it out to us. But our lives are often replete with myths. Myths we tell ourselves about life, myths we tell ourselves about ourselves and about others, about potentialities, about our failures, our dreams, and even our successes. What myths offer us is an as-if life. We live into our myths as if they were true. And actually, we live into them so hard much of the time that it's quite difficult for us to be talked out of them, even by our own suffering. In fact, It is often our mythologies that run our lives. Because we operate as a collective, we have collective mythologies as well. And these run our economy, our politics, our religions, and our healthcare systems. So what is your mythology? Do you know? Well, today we're going to be talking about mythology so that you can learn exactly what your mythology is and what you can do about it. So first, let's just give a brief overview of how we develop our mythologies. Mythologies come to us uh, packaged, prepackaged already, passed down to us through cultural initiatives, through um, institutional um, ideologies, through our parental um, education that we get from them. They come to us in the framework of this is how you're going to be okay. This is how you're going to survive. This is what you can do to make your life meaningful or better or somehow stay alive. Mostly it's stay alive because we hold on to those mythologies a lot harder. Our beliefs tend to say, oh, well, this will keep me alive, so therefore I'll, I'll believe this. Mythologies are just that. They're belief systems. Some people can say um, a mythology is your BS. <laughs> it is your belief system. So if you say my mythology is what you've already done is you reveal to yourself that you have a mythology and that, in fact, some other part of you does not actually believe it. So today what we're going to be doing as we talk about this is just sort of recognizing, and it's through recognition that we realize, and there's a difference between recognition and realization, in that recognition says, oh, I see, that's there. Realization says, I see all the patterns surrounding what's there. And so a realization is something that helps us get more closely aligned with who we really are as authentic people. So as we go through these mythologies today, these, these are not meant to be seen as judgments 
Um, they're not meant to be seen as uh, things that you can self-improve. They're only meant to be exposed for what they are, mythologies. And as we expose them for what they are, we begin to say, oh, okay, I see all the patterns that are connected to that mythology, and we get just that much closer to our own authenticity. So that's going to be our process today as we go through these. So we know how we develop them now. Let's, let's look at some of the potential um, mythologies that we might have. One of the first and most devastating, I think, it has to be fielded first, is that bad things that have happened in my life can damage me for life. So we have this idea that if I've had a bad childhood, well, that's, you know, that's the cause of everything else that I do that's not so great after that. Um, if I am dysfunctional in any manner in my relationships after that childhood is over, then it can be attributed directly to my childhood damage. Um, the, the adolescence about 10 years ago developed the whole uh, idea of damage, you know, they would go around saying, what's your damage? So the whole idea was that your damage was something that was not, couldn't be converted into something that could bless you or help you or be part of your strength. It was, no, it was something that was incontrovertible. It was not uh, healable. You couldn't get over it. So you had some kind of damage. And now that has been transferred to issues, and so now we have issues. So what <laughs> they are also considered to be part of our damage and our damage is this, like, ball and chain we carry around with us that says, okay, this defines me. It defines the whole of my life. So say I was um, sexually traumatized when I was, you know, maybe even for three or four years when I was a child. Okay, that's three or four years of my life. Does that thereby mean that for the rest of my life I have to lug around that ball and chain as if it can control my life? my ideas about life, my ideals about myself, my sense of myself, my how I interact with the world, my career, uh, all of those things are impacted when we think that that says, uh, that somehow defines me. So really, when, when we t take our childhood experiences and say, okay, well, that has damaged me for life, or we look at a parental figure who was abusive to us and say, you have ruined my life, what we're really saying is, you have control over all that I do from here on out. And if we think about that, do we really want to give them that control? Do we, do we really want to give an abusive dad control over the rest of our lives? I don't think so. So we might want to rethink that whole idea. The mythology is that our childhood damage can, can ruin our lives. Actually... What happens in childhood is very similar to what happens in adulthood, only it's happening to a child. So we suffer. In this world in which duality still reigns, in which we believe that we are separate from, from whatever higher power, universal energy, God, uh, divinity, whatever you want to call that, when we believe that we're separated from that, because we believe we're separate, we suffer. And some of us suffer in childhood. Some of us don't. Most of us suffer something in childhood. Um, if, if, if it's only that our parents didn't quite know how to be parents. Um, we, we tend to suffer to some degree or another in childhood. One of the things I deal with as a therapist very often is a parent who wants to divorce a spouse, and that parent is very, very worried and feels very guilty about the potential for what damage that is going to do to the children. And my response to that is, 
whatever we do as parents that is authentic, our children somehow on a deep level know that it's genuine and they respond to it genuinely. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get mad, that they're not going to have some emotional adjustments to make with regard to any life change as significant as a divorce, but it does mean that whatever is genuine is responded to as if it's genuine. So if a child knows that parents are unhappy in their relationship and the parent comes to the child and says, Daddy and Mommy have decided to solve our problem by getting a divorce or living separately, then the child sees that as a solution, not another problem. Now, there will be some emotional adjustments, no doubt, and those may be uh, relatively uh, um, loud at first, but uh, that doesn't mean that the child is going to be damaged for life. What children need to learn with their life difficulties at an early life is that these are problems that we can uh, adjust to, we can solve, we can um, um, learn how to live around. All kinds of things can be done that way. And, and so if, we, if our children can learn to adjust to difficult situations, go through the process of acceptance and get all the way to acceptance, then they have learned a major life task. And from that point on, they know that life can be adjusted to, can be uh, examined and looked at, and um, uh, we can learn acceptance about life events, a kind of letting go, a kind of way of saying, okay, there it is. Now what am I going to do? That's acceptance. So uh, bad things uh, that happen in my life can damage me for life is a myth. That's a mythology, and it can become a mantra that says, oh, well, that's, you know, that's why I do that. I do that because I was abused as a child, or I do that because, you know, um, um, uh, I was poor. We, we lived in a, uh, very, a lot of poverty as a child. Uh, my childhood has impacted my adulthood in this way, and therefore my adulthood is constantly attributable to my childhood. What that means is that the child is the parent of the adult, and that's just reverse of way it needs to be. What needs to happen there is that the, the adult needs to re- learn to parent that child by saying to that child that was hurt when it was a child, I know you were hurt. Let's get up out of this bloody mess here, and let's, let's make a life. Let's, let's create something joyful for you. Instead of you, the child who was hurt, gets to rule the rest of my life. So you see how that turns around. We, the myth uh, is then gone when we start thinking of it in terms of personal responsibility as an adult and we say, okay, this is my responsibility as an adult to adjust and adapt and, and, and to carry myself into a new life for me, the life I want, the life that gives me joy, the life that takes care of that little child in me that's still crying out for joy and love and, 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 and attention that little child is going to be heard by me, the adult, and I'm going to respond to it by taking care of it. Thereby, there is no damage to my adulthood based upon my childhood. So the myth is gone. So that's one of the major ones, and I think it's one that we we live out of quite a bit, particularly in this culture right now where we've got just enough information about psychology to damage ourselves. You know, we're all these armchair psychologists, and we, we tend to say, oh, well, you know, the reason they're doing that is because... When actually the reason they're doing that is because they're choosing to do that. That's the end of that. So let's move on to some other myths. 
Um, there's, there's three here packaged in one. Others can ruin my life. Others can make me happy or make me miserable. Others can make me angry. So what that says is others, that vague, innocuous term, whoever, <clears throat> excuse me, whoever those others are, have power over me and my choices. <clears throat> they can ruin my life, really? We, don't, we really want to give them that kind of power? They can make me happy, really? We really want to give them that kind of power? Um, they can make me miserable? Seriously, we want to make, give them that kind of power. They can make me angry? Really, we want to give them that kind of power. The answer to all of that is, who is running your life? The answer to that mythology is to ask the question, who is running your life? If you're giving power over your happiness to somebody else by saying, you can ruin my life or you can make me happy or you can make me miserable or you can make me angry, you can make me feel loved, you can make me, make me, make me, then what you're saying is, you're in charge of my life, not me. And there's a neat trick to that. That means that I'm not really responsible for my life, which is the myth. That is the bottom line myth of that. I'm not really responsible for my life. So then if somebody comes in to me and has this mythology, my first question is, who is responsible for your life, really? So we're going to talk some more about these mythologies in just a minute after the break. for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Welcome back to Authentic Living. This show is sponsored by Spirituality and Health Magazine, The Soul Body Connection. One of America's most prestigious spiritual magazine publishes six times a year and offers an amazing array of information for the seeker both in print and online. Check them out at www.spiritualityhealth.com. They have a new uh, magazine out right now. So we were talking about mythologies and some of those that we've discovered so far. One of the first was bad things that happened to me in my life can damage me for life. And the second one that we've talked about was a a, a clumped together one. Others can ruin my life. Others can make me happy or make me miserable. Others can make me angry. Others can make me feel loved. Others can basically have the power to uh, say what is happening inside of me, which we, we discovered was not really true and that that was just our way of giving them power and responsibility over our lives. So, okay, let's look at another one. People can get out of control. That means I can get out of control. Sometimes I look back at my life and I say, I've been out of control. Sometimes we say to our children, you are out of control. That's a pretty scary thing to say to a child, don't you think? You're out of control? Well, uh, who is in control then? And what we tend to think is, well, that means that you're acting in a way that's inappropriate or bad or otherwise uh, to be judged as um, ineffective. And really, we're not ever out of control. We're not ever out of control. The mantra that goes behind people can get out of control is, I can't help it. I can't help it. I had no choice. You just don't understand. So the, the idea is that... Somebody else is in charge of me at that moment. When I'm out of control, someone or something else is in charge of me. I'm possessed as if. Um, So really, the idea is, okay, when I'm feeling enraged, for example, that's one of the times when people say, well, they were out of control. If I'm enraged, what's really going on there? Well, very often I work with people on anger management, and rage is part of that uh, definition of anger management. It comes with a package. So somebody gets enraged, and they put their fist through a wall, and they break things and they throw things. But they, they somehow make sure that they don't throw things at their child or they make sure that they don't um, thro- break their ch- best china or they don't rip out the telephone because they might want to call somebody later. What's going on there is that they're choosing. In the midst of their rage, they are choosing what they will and will not allow themselves to do. And so we have to say, okay, well, if they have that much choice, then what other choices are they making? Somewhere along the way, probably subconscious or even unconscious, they make a choice to, to um, go ahead and let themselves feel and act out this rage because it's bubbled up inside so much that it just feels unbearable, so they're just going to have to release it some kind of way. And after it's all over... What they say after they say they feel bad about all the things they did, they also say, well, I felt better because what they did was they released that rage. So the idea is, are they really out of control or were they choosing this particular method 
of releasing that terrible feeling of the buildup of anger inside of themselves. I say it was the latter. They're choosing to release it in this manner. Of course, there's several other options they can use. Uh, For example, they might um, talk it out. They might write it out. They might draw it out or paint it out or or build it out or uh, or, um, dig up roots or plant a tree or lots of things that you can do, punch a punching bag to release rage that does not involve destruction or frightening other people or harming other people. So we, we, we have to begin to recognize that this is a myth. This myth that we can be out of control can be a very harmful myth because it allows us to give ourselves permission to do something and then say later we were out of control. So, and it also gives us uh, uh, permission to excuse others for doing that. Well, they were just out of control. They needed to take some medication or they needed to do something to get themselves back in control when all along there were choices they were making uh, which, over which we do have control. Our choices are totally within our control. Now, we may be making unconscious choices, but we can absolutely learn to become more conscious of our choices. So, no, people cannot be out of control. Here's another one. Personality is static. This is a tough one because we tend to believe that uh, people grow up a certain way and because of the first belief, bad things that happened in my life can damage me for life, we tend to also believe that those things that happened are sort of folded into our personality and become a part of us and therefore they, they help create us, they make us, they mold us into who we are. And uh, that who we are is a personality and that's all it is. It's, that doesn't run any deeper than that, it's just a personality and of course com- Personalities are complex and convoluted and all that, but nonetheless, it's a personality, and it's static. It's not going to change. It's not going to grow. It's not going to evolve. That's it. That's all there is. I have trouble with this word personality because it's so often used as a substitute for uh, identity. Uh, And identity, absolutely, we do, we can create an identity out of our Mythologies. We can create an identity that says, you know, if my parents aren't taking good care of me and my siblings, well, I'll just have to be Superman or Superwoman, and I'll just take care of everything. I'll cook the supper and clean the house and take care of my siblings, and, and, and even if I have to pay bills, I will, and, and it'll be all right. I'll take care of it. And we put on that mask and costume. We identify with it. We say it's who we are, and we come to believe that's, that's possible. And guess what? It is, because we've come to believe it is. It is. And so we accomplish all kinds of super child uh, feats when we're that age. And as we grow up, we believe that's who we are. And so we establish those kind of relationships with everyone we know. If I'm super woman or man, what I'm going to do is establish relationships with people who need me to be super strong for them. Therefore, they can be dependent and needy and I will take care of them. And that's the only kind of relationships I understand. Why? Because that's the only kind of relationship I understood. But that's an identity, not a personality. Uh, I think personality is more like um, something that could be akin to the authentic self if we let it. But since the word is fraught with so many psychological terms, I prefer the word identity. And we absolutely can learn identity, but we can also learn to identify with something much more authentic inside of us. We can begin to understand that when I, for example, if I give and give and give to other people and I'm exhausted at the end of every day and I start resenting the fact that nobody else gives back to me, well, that there's something going on there. My body is talking to me in, through ex- exhaustion. It's telling me, hey, this is not really authentic what you're doing here. And 
my my resentments are telling me that, hey, this is not really authentic what you're doing here. This giving is not genuine. It's not real. You're not giving because you really care and are compassionate. And even though there may be some caring and compassion there, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because that's what you've always done and that's all you know how to do. And so now you're building resentment and exhaustion into the equation and you're wondering what's going on. Well, what's going on isn't that you're a bad person and aren't caring enough, although that's what we attribute it to. It is, in fact, that your authenticity is talking to you. It is telling you that what you're doing isn't working for you. And so we need to begin to listen to that resentment and that exhaustion and let it talk to us and let it give us information and inform us of of what's real. So personality is not static. Identity is not static. And matter of fact, we are fluid. We are fluid all the time. And hopefully that fluidity will carry us into the river of life, which is much more of a soulful life, an authentic life. Um, the other thing that goes along with that is that it's impossible to really know ourselves. That mythology is perpetuated throughout our culture that, that oh, yeah, we can know other people, but we can't really know ourselves because that's just this arcane mystery and who can know themselves, you know. So the idea is your personality is static, you're stuck the way you are, and whatever you think you are, that's what you are, and so don't worry about it anymore. Stop thinking about that because you, if you think about it too much longer, you might become authentic, and that scares us, so don't do that. So, so the idea is uh, that those two things go together. Personality is static, and it's impossible to really know ourselves. They're two mythologies that work together very handily. And let's talk about relationship. Um, one of the mythologies that we have is that we have to drag others into the room, that we have to basically say, you're far away from me, and I have to manipulate and pretend to be and put my best foot forward so you'll like me enough so that you'll be, you'll come closer to me and then then I can have you in my life and, and we'll be somehow one. That mythology is based on the fact that we're separate in the first place, and that is not true. The first and foremost mythology we all have is that we live in a dualistic world in which all things are separate from everything else, in which we are separate from the divine, and that because we're separate from the divine, we're also separate from each other. And the, mytho- the, the truer statement is that we're all one. We are already connected. And if we connect with another person, it's because something genuine in us uh, reaches out and something genuine in them reaches out. If it's a valid connection, that's what's true. If it's an invalid connection, it's going to be based on two identities who happen to bump into each other and think that my identity will work with your identity in sort of oppositional way like a seesaw. Like, so if I'm uh, a victim, then I'm going to attract a rescuer uh, or, or vice versa. So... Um, we tend to think in those terms that, that we are attracted because of what we do and say, and, and we have to work at that. We have to manipulate others. We have to get them into the room. We have to drag them into the room, and sometimes even kicking and screaming. But reality is different than that. The reality is that we're already one, and if it's a genuine connection, it'll happen naturally. There's no effort to it. And that's something that we don't trust at all. And so we stay in our houses, and we either don't go out and try to meet people and take the risk to do that. Many of us live isolated lives like that. I work with many people, adults, who live in very isolated lives who, because they don't believe that they have a natural ability to attract other people just by walking outside their door, because they believe that they're separate from other people, because these mythologies have, are running their lives, they've chosen to stay stuck in an agenda that says other people are far away and distant from me, and I can't get them to come into the room, so I just won't even try. So that's the other option, is either we're dragging people into the room or we're staying away from people with the belief that we just can't drag them into the room. 
because we don't know how. Everybody else seems to know how to drag people in the room, but not me. So what I would say is we don't have to drag anybody into the room. If we walk out the door of our house and we are authentic, genuine people, that carries its own attractiveness. And as we interact with the world, that genuineness comes across. People recognize genuineness, and they will be attracted to it, and we will begin to establish relationships with people based on that genuineness. Okay, another one, um, uh, a power. Here's a good one. Power, empowerment, personal empowerment means power over others. That's a mythology that we carry into the world with us, and very, very many of our leaders, sad to say, are using that um, agenda as their way of leading other people. So if I have power over you, then I lead you. And we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for more on your mythology. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about mythologies and how they run our lives how they run our collective and individual lives. We were talking just before the break about the idea that power over others is assumed to be personal power, that I can't believe that I have power, empowerment, personal empowerment, unless I have power over others, and that there are many leaders in our world, political, religious, business, 
um, healthcare leaders who are who have that very agenda that says, if I have power over others, then I am your leader, um, and really it, it disacknowledges the fact that we all have a choice. That I have a choice whether or not I'm as to whether or not I'm going to follow a particular leader. That I have a choice as to how I'm going to behave within within a certain organization. That that choice denies the fact that you have power over me. And just as we said earlier that others can't ruin our lives, others can't lead us unless we let them. And so the idea that some leaders have that they can control other people and that's what gives them their sense of personal power is uh, is, is based in a mythology. The mythology is a lie that says that power is an external it can only be evidenced by the externals. So that if I can see that you're obsequious to me and that you um, you are jealous of my money or that you do what I ask you to do or tell you to do, that means that I'm powerful. But actually, personal empowerment has nothing to do with other people. It has to do with my sense of myself. Am I being completely responsible for myself? Meaning, am I taking really good care of my inner being? Am I, am I responding to my own needs for peace and joy? Am I responding to my own need for happiness? Am I responding to my own need for relationship? Am I responding to my, to my most genuine self? That is the definition of responsibility. It's not this hardened thing that we have carried around with us like a, a ball and chain for centuries, the idea that responsibility means being dutiful and living out of obligation and doing the right thing and those kinds of things, uh, that is not responsibility. That's uh, a myth. It's based on the idea that our, our lives can be measured by other people based upon how they see us as responsible beings. And if we live by obligation and duty, then they will see us as good people, and that's all we need. Because if they see us as good people, well, then we must be good people. First, that uh, cries out for a de- definition of the word good, which we all know is culturally based. Um, that is, what's good in one culture is not necessarily good in another. So that term is questionable. And then the idea that other people get to define me is not only questionable, but pretty scary. Uh, but we have lived out of that. We have let our families define us, and that's the first definition we get of ourselves as we look to them for definition. As time goes by, hopefully we begin to define ourselves separate and distinct from somebody else's definition of us. And that doesn't mean we have to go off and be an ascetic to do that. It just means we start need to start looking inside, looking within to find out what's in there. And without judgment, without judgment, with compassion toward ourselves, be able to, to listen and say, okay, what's really going on in there? And, and let me hear that and let me just respond to that so that if what's really going on in there is... is uh, say I want to stay up all night every night and, and, and become a workaholic because I think it's going to get me somewhere, well, that's an agenda that's based on an old identification because of, based on a need that's much stronger. I'm not going to respond to that agenda as if it has legitimacy. What I'm going to do is respond to the need under it, and the need under it is I feel like I need to be somebody. So, okay, how can I be somebody? What does that really mean? Does it mean going out into the external world and making other people look up to me? Or does it mean that I trust myself, that I begin to love and trust myself and be with myself and spend time with me? That makes me somebody. Um, so, again, another mythology, but it's based on the idea of power as a differential between you and me. 
So I, my, my sense of personal empowerment is going to be based upon responding to my own needs, as I said. Another mythology that dies hard, especially in this New Age, New Thought world that we live in, is that ego is the enemy. Ego is not the enemy. Ego is a liaison, a, a, a liaison between the external world and the internal world, and it is absolutely essential to our mental health. If we have no ego, we don't have the strength to be able to give ourselves bones in the world. We don't have the ability to determine what's illusion and what's, what's truth, what's delusion and what's truth. We, there is no sense of ourselves. There's just this big blob like jello. Um, but with ego, we put bones to ourself. We put a structure to ourself that we can define, that we get to understand. And it may, it is a fluid structure, but it is a structure that we can sort of roll around in. And um, so ego is essential, absolutely essential. So anyone who tells you that the ego is your enemy is, is telling you a mythology. Ego states are states of ego in which we identify with a particular thing. And we've talked about identity already today. An ego state is a, is a way of the ego liaisoning between external and internal world by trying to match the external world instead of the internal world. What we have to do as a healthy ego is we have to go inside, learn about who we are, and then carry who we are out into the external world rather than letting the external world flood in and define us. So ego is not the enemy at all. But our identities may sometimes crash and burn when a crisis comes along that's bigger than the identity can, can withstand. Um, and, but that's a good thing, actually, because what happens is that we become, have the potential, at least, of becoming more authentic as a result of that crisis. So ego is not the enemy, and, um, and that's another mythology that dies hard. Uh, my life will be happy if I can attract all of the externals that I desire. And that's another one that's uh, really based a lot, particularly in this new age, new thought, um, uh, human potential movement. There's a lot of people out there practicing the law of attraction with the idea in mind that externals will make them happy. The bargain there is if I can think positive thoughts and forego any negative thoughts, if I can always have positive feelings and not have any negative feelings, then I can attract the externals that I need and then I will finally be happy. That's a whole lot of bargaining. If, then, there's a whole lot of bargaining in that. But if we say to ourselves, okay, happiness is an inside job, and uh, it is all about me getting in touch with me, as I, as I get more and more in touch with me, I am naturally more happy, then we take the work out of it. So that goes along with another myth that, that is happiness is something we work for, um, and so that myth says I have to work really hard, I have to attain, I have to strive, I have to be successful, I have to do these things, and then I'll finally be happy. But really, happiness is an inside job, and it's really not even a job. It's all about finding out who we are. When we find out and can live into who we are, then we are just naturally happy because happiness is a part of our sense of ourselves. It comes with the package. So... So, again, those are two that go together. My life will be happy if I can attract all the externals that I desire, and happiness is something I work for. Those are two mythologies that go together, and they, they, they tend to tell us that happiness is outside of us and we have to go after it. But, again, happiness is inside of us, and we, we don't have to go after it. We, we sit with it, and it, it com- comes to us as a part of, the, of being with ourselves. Life is hard for us because we're basically bad people striving to be good. 
that's another one. And it's based on the duality, uh, the uh, sort of duality trance state we live in, in which we say that we're separate from the divine and the divine is separate from us because we're bad people. Um, and that idea is that if uh, my, what my life is really to do, what I really came here to do, is I came here to um, get rid of the natural man. That's uh, one of the terms. Natural man is one of the terms that's thrown around a lot in in the more fundam- fundamentalistic worlds uh, that says that the natural man is evil and that we have to get rid of the natural man in order for us to become good people whom, who, with whom uh, we can relate and with whom God can relate or the divine can relate. So... Um, so we, we, that archetype has been passed down so many centuries now that we've all come to, come to believe it, even those of us who don't have it or are just brought down at all. We, we, we tend to believe that we're bad people at the core and that what we have to do in order to, to, to deal with that is we have to work hard to become good people. And only good people can really be happy people. The rest of us are not really happy. And uh, and we equate that, then we begin to equate that with rewards so that, you know, good people are supposed to get good rewards and bad people are supposed to get bad rewards. And we expect that. And so when things don't happen that way, we stamp our little feet and say, what, this isn't fair. We cry foul and how could this be happening because I'm a good person and this couldn't be happening to me because I've worked so hard to be good. And yet we know that oftentimes bad, quote-unquote, bad people get their rewards and good, quote unquote, good people don't. So what we have to then say is, well, have the gods got it all backwards, or what's going on here? How come this is happening? It's unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair. And that's another mythology. But if we put the mythology aside and look within, what we generally find is that the good and bad are just terms we use for a world we don't understand. Good and bad are are, are indefinable except by the fact that one defines the other. If it's not good, it's bad. If it's not bad, it's good. And that's the only way we can really define them. And beyond that, they're culturally based. So what is good in one culture is bad in another. So in order to deal with this mythology, what we have to begin to do is to to recognize that we're not striving to be good. We're not striving at all. We're we're being. We're, We're sitting with ourselves. We're... We're being true to ourselves. We're being genuine. It's like a, a, an old uh, di- a diamond that comes out of the mind. It doesn't look very good. It looks like a rock that's kind of dirty. But if you take the, the identity off of it, take all the crud off the top of it, what you get is a diamond. And that's us. If we can take off the identity and see what's under there. And I don't mean we identify with nothingness, but I do mean that we can begin to identify with something more authentic. Um, and if so, we become the diamond. We become. We are able to see through ourselves as transparent beings, and that gives us the joy that we're looking for, not um, striving after goodness. So we'll be back in just a few more minutes with the last segment of our show today, talking about our mythologies. for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. 
America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. You live for the first in your child's life. But how do you cope with the first that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's one 866 472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with the final segment of our show today, talking about mythologies and how they impact our lives and what we can do as we begin to recognize and realize the truth behind the mythologies. What we said in the beginning was that we created our mythologies based upon what we heard from other people and our needs to survive in difficult circumstances and environments. Um, sometimes we created our mythologies because certain events happened and we, we connected dots that didn't necessarily need to be connected, and uh, we came up with a mythology that seemed to work with us, for us. Some of us have developed entire attitudes about life based upon those mythologies. For example, the pessimist is generally speaking someone who believes deep down that if they can stay in the dark, then they won't ever be disappointed when the light doesn't happen. So, so in other words, if I can uh, just, if something looks like it might be a good thing, I'll tell myself that it's probably not going to turn out good. And then if it doesn't, then I'm not really disappointed. 
And so that's a coping mechanism. It's kind of a convoluted one, but it is a coping mechanism that says, okay, I know how to get through this stuff so that I don't feel so much pain when I get disappointed. Um, so you see, these are the ways that we developed a life stance that said, okay, this is how I'm going to cope. And, but they're based on untruths. They're based on mythologies. And they don't really work. They're not really effective as no untruth can ever really completely work in terms of making us happy and, and fulfilled, peaceful, joyful people, compassionate people. Uh, they, make, they, they give us an identity sometimes. They give us a way of, of living in the world, but they don't necessarily give us um, the, the, the thing that we're really looking for, was that love and joy and peace within us. And all of us are looking for that, whether we, we know it or not. We are looking for that sense that we're grounded, that sense that life is okay, that life is something we can manage, that we can be really experience joy, that we can really connect with other people, that we can really connect with divine that we are, uh, can experience peace on a really daily, regular level. So, so these coping mechanisms are bargains that are attempting to get us that, but fall far short. So we have developed these mythologies over years of working on them, and then we die. <laughs> That's what we all think. That's one of the final mythologies that we have, that we all die. And, uh, you know, we look around us and we see uh, graveyards filled with headstones, and we so we know all people die. And yet there's this other part of us that really finds that to be so difficult to believe. I find it difficult to believe. I, you know, I'm, I'm closer to death than a lot of people on this planet, but I find it difficult to believe that ultimately I'll die. And the reason I think I truly find that hard to believe is because I'm not really going to die. The truth is no one really dies. Now, I can say that's the truth, and you could argue that because no one really knows, and you'd be right to argue that because really no one really knows what happens after we die. But, <laughs> excuse me, the, the, if we believe that we all die, that that's the end, then what we're saying is I've got to get it all right this time. And, you know, there's lots of different beliefs. Some people believe we die and then we go to heaven. Some people believe we die and then we come back to another life. And some people believe that... that um, uh, we can die, we can cut this life short and just get out of it by committing suicide. And, you know, some people believe that, you know, if we're in a lot of pain, then why why shouldn't we cut it short and get out of it? And other people believe that, you know, we should see if there's some other solution and, you know, besides dying and cutting it short. I don't know. What I, what I believe is not important here. What is going to matter is what you believe. What you come down to with regard to death is going to be very important. What I find to be true is that most people, what's interesting is, and I can't, uh, well, I shouldn't say most, most people like a statistic because it's really not a statistic, but we're having a conversation here. So I'm going to go ahead and say most people, uh, when they get inside themselves, when they get to something more authentic, more genuine inside of themselves, death is just not really in there. It's just not there. What most people find is that there's some part of them that they just know is going to go forward. Now, what does that mean in terms of the body? Well, I can't really say. Uh, I can't really say what that means. You know, if the body terminates its existence at some point and some other part of us goes on, is the body united with the soul at some point? Uh, You know, I have my own beliefs about that. It doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what you believe. So what I would ask you to do is research that. Go within yourself and, and see what resonates inside you. See what's true for you. Instead of just adopting or adapting to the idea that we all die, maybe we could consider this a different way. 
you know, I wonder sometimes if it's possible if we all began to go, well, maybe we really don't die. Maybe our bodies would stop dying too. It's an interesting concept. Don't know whether that's even like so way beyond the pale that you'll even want to hear what I just said, but it's, you know, it's, it's worth thinking about. But if we all have this idea that we're going to die, and at some and we all believe it, and our bodies believe it, and our minds believe it, and you know, then maybe that's what we're doing is we're creating death out of the duality trance state. But but that whole idea of death carries with it so many other things, out of which we create so many other mythologies. So if I believe that I'm going to die at some point, then I better get it right. Or I better hurry up and get everybody else's money. Or I better hurry up and get back as many people as I can because they've hurt me. I'm going to get them back. Um, I better hurry up and and establish myself in my career. I better hurry up and 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 get to the point of my life where I I can really be happy. I better hurry up. I better hurry up. I better hurry up because I'm going to die soon. And what that means is that this moment is not in the picture. I'm hurrying so much because I might die one day that this moment is not in the picture. And I'll tell you, I'm talking to myself right now as I'm talking to you because I do some of that too, that hurry-up stuff. Uh, but, but the idea is based on uh, we've got this terminal existence. But if we could think, well, my, my existence is not terminal. I have an existence that goes on. And who knows what I'm going to do with it after, I, after this transition from one body state to another. That's how I want to think about it. Who knows? So if I think of my life as terminal, I want to hurry up. But if I think of my life as going on and on, then I say, hey, this moment right here where I'm looking around my room and seeing the light flash in and out, I have this cool little uh, lighthouse with uh, prisms in it, and it makes all these cool lights go all around the room. I'm looking at that right now. That is really, really cool. So I'm taking that in instead of saying, let me rush past it because I'm going to die one day. And, and also, the idea of death creates the idea of emotional death, psychological death, spiritual death, um, all kinds of little deaths, uh, death of a job, the death of a car, the death of a, you know, we have little deaths all throughout our lives. And, and instead of thinking of these as transitions, we think of them as little deaths. We do. We think of ends and beginnings when if we could say to ourselves, maybe there is no real beginning, maybe there is no real end, it might feel a whole lot differently. We might look at this whole idea of mythology completely differently. So we begin with a beginning and end with an end, but maybe we don't. Think about it. And tune in again next week. We're going to be talking to Maria, Sarah, excuse me, Sarah Maria about body image issues. You don't want to miss that. That's a real uh, important issue today in our world. And remember, your, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.